Good afternoon, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you. Good to open God's Word with you today. We've just uh, heard the what, what's we call the Beatitudes, and we're just going to pay attention to the, the words kind of right in the middle today. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're working through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5 through 7, and we plan to finish by the fall of 2027. <laughs> no, we won't, we won't always just take it one verse at a time, but sometimes it's good to slow down and just chew on one verse at a time like we will today. So right before Matthew records this great sermon, he tells us that Jesus was going town to town proclaiming the gospel, or good news, of the kingdom. So we read the sermon that comes right after that, understanding that at least in the mind of Jesus, the things he's saying qualify as good news to someone. And we've seen the past few weeks that Jesus' opening words of his sermon are very unexpected kind of good news. Almost as if he's announcing an upside-down kingdom. Where the lowly and the sorrowful and the unimportant are actually privileged and honored. So here's what I want us to grapple with right here at the outset this afternoon. The words that we're going to look at today are intended to bring comfort to people. And they have, ever since Jesus spoke them, they still do, and they always will, as long as there are words And the flip side of that is that the very same words have also caused many others to be quite uncomfortable. And they still do. And so my prayer is today that as we spend a few minutes together looking at these words, the effect would be similar. That by paying close attention to the fourth beatitude, many in this room would be gloriously comforted. And that according to the Lord's wisdom and his perfect view of every heart in this room, that some in this room would feel lovingly and even savingly uncomfortable, leading to repentance and joy. And since I don't have the power to do either of those things, let's go to the Lord real briefly and ask the Spirit of God who is among us to do things like that. So please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we are bombarded with lies every single day. Our hearts are prone to believe some of them and even seek out and cherish some of them. So I echo the words of Jesus when he prayed for us, sanctify us in the truth. Your word is the truth. So would you use these precious words of the fourth beatitude to comfort those who need comforting and to make uncomfortable those who need that so that each and every one of us, by your grace, might know this satisfaction of soul that Jesus so often spoke of. So hear us and help us because of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. As we give attention to these words, we're going to organize our time into four sections. 
three questions and an exclamation. Then we're going to take the Lord's Supper, sing one more song, and then encourage each other on our way out into next week. So let's look at it in these sections. First question I want to ask is, what does this mean? What does this mean? Now, middle and high schoolers, this is your time to shine. What do we need to pay attention to if we want to understand the meaning of a passage? (laughs) What? Context. So they all knew it. They just didn't say it. We talked about it on Wednesday really effectively. (laughs) Context. You need to pay attention to the context if you want to understand what a passage is saying. So let's look at verse 1 in chapter 5. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. So what kind of people are in this crowd? Well, there's some some of his disciples. But then if you look back at the end of chapter 4, you'll see that the crowds... Is The crowd is full of people who are, and I quote, the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons, those having seizures, and paralytics. That's the crowd. Know what another name for this crowd is? Poor in spirit. Those who mourn. Those who are meek. People who need good news. When life is marked by sickness and affliction and pain and oppression and you can't seem to get a break and you can't find your way out of the suffering that you're living in and the people around you say you're cursed and you happen to agree with them, what do you need more than anything? You need good news. That's what Jesus is doing. He's saying a better day is coming for you. Far from being cursed, Jesus says, you friends are blessed. So by the time he gets to this fourth beatitude, he's already shockingly taken three characteristics that people usually don't want to be described by. And he says, the kingdom belongs to you. Comfort is coming your way. You're going to inherit the earth. Things are looking up. And then he goes on in this fourth beatitude to highlight something that people in the crowd maybe never were even able to put words to, but they felt it in the depths of their soul. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. If emotions hadn't erupted yet in the sermon, I'd imagine this is the point where the levee broke for a lot of people. That moment when the deepest longings of your heart are called out and affirmed, and you know that you're seen and known, and loved, and the one speaking to you seems to be the very one seeing you, and knowing you, and loving you? See, for some people, life goes well. You're born into plenty. You work your way to the top, because you didn't start very far from it. And as a result, life has trained you to hunger and thirst for more of that. More success. More prosperity. More power. More privilege. More pleasure. More good health. More, might we just say, happiness. But Jesus says there's something greater than hungering and thirsting for happiness. In fact, happiness, or as Jesus calls it, blessedness, 
comes as a result of a greater hunger and thirst. And there are people on this earth who have tasted very little success, prosperity, power, pleasure, happiness, and they've developed a different kind of taste, a different kind of appetite, a longing for rightness in the world. A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Not for self-advancement. Not for revenge. Not just for a different version of broken where you're in the driver's seat. But for righteousness. The existence of right relationships. That's really, when the Bible talks about the, uses the word righteousness, that's really what it means. How it uses it. To refer to right relationships. Right relationships between man and God, and then right relationships between man and man. So acts of righteousness, when the Bible talks about that, are really just things that you do that create or maintain right relationships. So what does this mean? We can understand it even a bit better, maybe, if we look at the ways that Jesus uses the word righteousness in this very sermon. And he uses it, uh, I think, four times in the Sermon on the Mount, in these three chapters. So the first time he uses it is right here in the fourth beatitude. And then I want to point out um, just a, a few patterns in the beatitudes that might help us understand something here. So um, I ho- hopefully you're still looking at Matthew 5. Um, but let's look at a few patterns. Notice that the first and the eighth beatitude kind of bookend the whole section. You notice that? They both end with the promise, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so then the first three Beatitudes describe the condition of those who come to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then they culminate in the fourth Beatitude with they're satisfied, they're filled with righteousness. They're satisfied, their hunger is satisfied. And then the next three Beatitudes, which we'll look at in the coming weeks, merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, those seem to describe kind of an outflow of those who are filled with righteousness, who have been satisfied with righteousness. And notice that those three culminate in the eighth beatitude, which is being persecuted for the sake of that righteousness. In other words, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are filled, and it comes out in things like mercy and purity of heart and peacemaking. And then the next time Jesus talks about righteousness in verse 20, if you want to look there with me, he says, I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, or the religious elites of the day, thought they were righteous because of the way they lived. But Jesus says that everyone who enters the kingdom is going to have to be have a different kind of righteousness than they have. And then if you glance ahead at the rest of chapter 5, he kind of unfolds that, unpacks that. He goes on immediately to talk about things like peacemaking versus anger, purity versus lust, faithfulness versus unfaithfulness, truthfulness versus deception, mercy versus retaliation, loving kindness versus hatred. And he's using it to directly contradict the so-called righteousness of the Pharisees. Do you see that in your Bible? 
So when Jesus uses the word righteousness, he has in view things like being merciful, pure in heart, peacemaking, and then things like faithfulness, truthfulness, loving kindness. It's not a comprehensive list, but it gives you a pretty good idea of what Jesus is talking about. But then one more time, in chapter 6, verse 1, if you want to look there, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And then he goes on to talk about practices like giving to the needy, praying, fasting. And again, he says, do these things, but don't do them like the Pharisees who do them to impress other people. Do them quietly to impress God. So when Jesus says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, he's saying something like, blessed are those who long above all else for righteousness to fill the earth, who hunger and thirst for a righting of all that's wrong in the world, who hunger and thirst for right relationships between people and God, between people and people, and even between people and all of creation. Blessed are those who pray with Jesus' own heart, Father, let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's how Jesus prayed because that's what Jesus longed for. And Jesus invites us to share his heart and to share his hunger and thirst and to pray those kinds of things along with him. And while we're praying for it, We're also to spend our lives cultivating it, pursuing it, like we'd rather die than not see it happen. Cultivating righteousness through living lives of mercy and purity of heart and peacemaking and faithfulness and truthfulness and loving kindness. One day when Jesus was out cultivating and pursuing righteousness himself, he was sitting by a well of water next to a, uh, a, a desperate, sinful woman, and his disciples came to him and offered him some food. And do you remember what he said? He said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. That was Jesus' appetite. When you're hungry and thirsty for something, you don't sit back and just hope that it finds you. Jesus, in the words of the Apostle Paul, in Titus 2.14, gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness, lawlessness, and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. That's hungry language. Not sit back and wait language. So I hope we've gotten somewhere close to answering the first question. What does this mean? Let's move on to the second question. Second question, why is this true? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Why is this true? Why Why is it true that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied? Why is it true that those who hunger and thirst for righteousness can consider themselves blessed? According to Jesus, it's true because satisfaction is coming. When the very thing you long for more than anything else is promised to be coming by none other than God himself, you are supremely blessed. Think of all the things people long for in this world. 
All the many cravings of the human soul. We've already mentioned some of them. Success, prosperity, power, privilege, pleasure, health. Well, what if those are the deepest longings of your soul and they never come? Or they only come for a moment? Or they come in great abundance and you realize they're not actually that satisfying? Is that person blessed? Quite the opposite, right? Craving, chasing, pursuing something that can't satisfy you. That's not blessed. But what if, by the mysterious providence and grace of God, your heart comes into alignment with God's heart, and not only that, but with God's intentions, God's God's declared purposes, and you long above all else for the very thing God has promised to accomplish one day? You're blessed. When your heart comes into alignment with God, what God has promised he's going to do, you're blessed because you can guarantee you're going to be satisfied. That's a blessed person. Fenska showed us last week how Jesus clearly had Isaiah 61 in mind when he was preaching the Sermon on the Mount. I'd encourage you to take a look at it yourself. In fact, I'm going to help you do that for a minute here. Isaiah 61 had been written hundreds of years before Jesus, but it's just so clearly on his mind as he's preaching that you, you kind of have to uh, you have to pay attention to it. Youth, this is what we would call biblical context, right? Understanding a passage not just in terms, not just in light of what's right around it, but the whole Bible, right? So Isaiah 61 is a place we're going to look at for a minute. Jesus even once recorded in Luke 4 said about Isaiah 61, he goes, just so you know, these words were written about me. So Isaiah 61 will help us better understand why the fourth beatitude is true. So look at it again with me. I think it's going to come up above my head. And let's just uh, let's get a running start here and start at the beginning. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. You see who Isaiah is talking about? He's talking about the poor in spirit, the mourners, the meek. They will one day be called oaks of righteousness. Planted by the Lord in order to glorify God, or it can also be uh, translated in order to display God's beauty. These people who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be satisfied. They will be so satisfied, they will be so filled with what they long for, that it will be fitting to call them oaks of righteousness. That's some filling. Okay, look a little further. Verse 4. Those same people, they shall build up the ancient ruins, they shall raise up the former devastations, they shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. That's poetic graphic language to show what their righteousness will accomplish. That's righteousness language. Bringing right relationship. Restoring right relationship where it's been lost. Things that have been ruined for ages will be restored and made new. 
All the devastation caused by sin and wickedness. All the unrighteousness of man will be renewed by this unsuspecting group of nobody's turned oaks of righteousness. They get to do it. They're not only going to see righteousness come on the earth, God tells them they're going to be part of spreading it. That's blessed. Skip down a little bit to verse 7 of Isaiah 61. Still talking to these people. He says, instead of your shame, which they've known their whole lives, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Sounds pretty good. Verse 9, their offspring shall be known among the nations and their descendants in the midst of the peoples All who see them shall acknowledge them. That's a change. And that they are an offspring the Lord has blessed. No longer will they be nobodies. Verse 11. For as the earth brings forth its sprouts, and as a garden causes what is sown in it to sprout up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to sprout up before all nations. In other words, righteousness will not always be a scarce commodity. Those who share God's heart will not always feel like they're starving to death. The Lord will cause righteousness to sprout up like the glorious plants of a well-watered garden. Like the very first garden, perhaps. Where righteousness reigns And those who once hungered and thirsted for it will be forever satisfied. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness is true because our God is a redeeming God and he has declared his redeeming plan and nothing is going to stop him from accomplishing it. The righteousness of God will one one day, once again, dominate and define all of creation. If you've spent your life hungering and thirsting for it, cultivating and pursuing it, you better believe you're going to be one of those satisfied people for a long time. That's going to drop us off at our third and all-important question. Does this describe me? Third question I want to ask is, does this describe me? We've seen a little bit of the effect that Jesus' words might have had on the crowd that heard him that day. Hopefully we've even rejoiced a little bit in our hearts that this is our king who brings hope to the hopeless. That's where he starts. But you and I weren't there, right? You and I weren't there, and if we're honest, a lot of us aren't the outcasts of society. Some of you have certainly felt that way, I know. But almost all of us have been born, historically speaking, near the top. Enjoying plenty of plenty. We know something of prosperity and pleasure and comfort and health, or at least really good health care. So what about us? When you see Jesus ministry and his chosen target audience time after time in the scriptures, you begin to understand a little bit more what Jesus meant when he said, as we'll see in Matthew 19, and I quote, 
only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That should get our attention. Like, our attention. Why is it so difficult for people like us to enter the kingdom of heaven? At least partly, I think, is because we keep ourselves pretty full of a lot of things. Our appetites for righteousness get pretty weak when we've got so many other things to feast on. I want to start by saying that there are many people in this room for whom these words should be greatly encouraging. They should be very comforting. When I look around this room, I see people whose lives make it obvious that you hunger and thirst for righteousness. It's hard to hide a hungry person. Rejoice in what the Lord is doing through you and press on in righteousness. But if you're united to Jesus, like a branch is to a vine, to borrow Jesus' picture, then you are righteous in Christ. You have a right relationship with God through Jesus. And you have access to the appetite of Christ. The appetite that hungers and thirsts for righteousness to spread. This is in your new DNA, if you're a Christian. But unfortunately, this doesn't mean that all of our other appetites die on the, on the spot, right? By God's design, that's a gradual process that the Bible talks about. We call it sanctification. Not all the old appetites die, but there are new appetites, thanks be to God, right? Part of learning to cooperate with the work that God is doing in you as a new creation in Christ is to pay attention to your spiritual appetite. To do whatever you can to bring your appetites more in line with Jesus. I had a young, wise friend last night in my living room as a part of our first five newlyweds gathering. He spoke up saying that he knows something is off in his soul when he finds his heart resisting opportunities to be generous with his money and with his time. Another friend recently told me that he's been concerned about the health of his soul because he consistently finds it easy to skip his small group gatherings in order to get a little more rest or a little more Netflix. We can all relate, right? If we pay attention to our appetites, there's probably plenty to be concerned at. Don't you want hungry and thirsty for righteousness to be an accurate description of you? I know you do. I do. The time that has passed suffices for being led along by the same cravings as the rest of the world. My prayer for us is that God would pour out his spirit on us in such a way that we would wake from our slumber and live lives that are worthy of this good news that Jesus brings. And so, as God is at work in you, if you're in Christ, is, do desire to cooperate with that work 
and I know you do, not to push against it, not to resist it. I just want to give you two exhortations as someone who also wants to see my spiritual appetites come in line with Jesus. Not giving you new laws, I'm not giving you new rules, just two pieces of advice, add to it yourself. But if we want our appetites to align more with Jesus, I think there's uh, two exhortations and just a warning, they're about as common sense as they come. You could get up here and do a better job. Exhortation number one. If you want your appetite to come more in line with the appetite of Jesus, feast on what is good. Feast on what is good. You can't create in yourself a hunger and thirst for righteousness. At least I don't think so. Let me know if I'm wrong. But you can certainly put yourself in the way of it. Blind Bartimaeus couldn't heal his own blindness, right? But he was no fool to put himself at the corner of the road that he heard Jesus was about to walk by. And he was no fool to scream at the top of his lungs for Jesus to come and pay attention to him, even though everyone else thought he was a fool. If you want to develop and intensify an appetite for righteousness, avail yourself of every opportunity for the grace of God to fall on you. You're sitting under the preaching of God's word right now. Be encouraged. There is grace at work when God's people gather together to worship. Many of us are going to take the Lord's Supper in a few minutes. There's another weekly opportunity for grace to reach you. There are going to be people in the back of the room in a few minutes who are going to be eager to pray for you. Let them. God gives grace to the humble and he hears our prayers. Unless the Lord has other plans, you're going to wake up tomorrow with access to a Bible and the throne of grace. Get up earlier. Spend more time. Be greedy for the presence of God. Seek his face. There's grace at work even on the mornings where your seeking feels weak and fruitless. Most of you are part of a small group. If you're not, you can find out how to become part of one before you leave. Don't miss it this week. Be early. Pray for the people in your small group. Find out how you can be praying for the people in your small group. Dig deep into those relationships. Lead the way in transparency. Be the chief encourager in your group. There's grace at work when we gather together with God's people. You're going to have discretionary time this week. Time where you get to decide what you're going to do with it. Be intentional. Invest that time in things that matter. Invest in people who need your friendship and your support and your love. You can call World Relief this week and start the process of becoming a friendship partner, which means you get to be somebody's first friend in America when they travel here for safety. That's an option for you this week. You can call Wayside Cross this week and start a friendship with a man or a woman that happens to need a friend just like you this week. you have better things, there's, this is not an exhaustive list. If you have better ways to do these things, do the better ways. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Feast on what is good. And watch the Holy Spirit align your heart with his. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness 
are those who have learned to feast on that which is good and leave nothing on the table. Be ravenous, I dare you. But that's just half of it. Here's the second thing I encourage you to do if you want your spiritual appetites to come more in line with those of your king. Number two, stay away from anything that dulls your appetite for what is good. Stay away from anything that dulls your appetite for what is good. Here's another reality that God has built into our bodies in order to teach us something about our souls. You can ruin your appetite. Somebody told us that as a kid, right? Quit snacking on that. You'll ruin your appetite. Never knew what that meant. It's not ruined. Mom's been working hard on a nutritious dinner. Don't fill up on Doritos. You won't be hungry when it's time for dinner. Do you know this about your soul? I'm sure we're all somewhat aware of the fact that when we give ourselves to overtly sinful things that dishonor God, that we're certainly in danger of hardening our hearts and dulling our love for Jesus. I think, I think we all know. But Satan wants you to think that everything else is neutral. I'll speak personally. I've always loved sports. There's nothing inherently wrong with sports. I think there's lots of wonderful things about sports. But I've learned as an adult that I'm a man of limited attention, limited energy, and limited affection. And when I give sports too much of any of those, my passion for things of the Lord can grow dull. Same goes with other forms of entertainment. Whatever it is for you. There's an appropriate care and discipline required for the maintaining and growing of healthy spiritual appetites. Discipline's not a bad word. And part of that discipline is being disciplined about what we don't do, what we don't consume, what we don't give attention to. So what are the things you need to be careful with? What are the things that might be dulling your spiritual appetite and you're not even aware of it? Ask the Holy Spirit this week and I bet he'll start to make things clear. He's good at that. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are those who have learned to stop spoiling their appetites with lesser things. So blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Does this describe you? What opportunities do you have in front of you to make sure that it does describe you more a month from now than it does today? Every one of us has those opportunities. I've promised you an exclamation, so let's close with an exclamation. These 14 words that we've been looking at together today, this one line from the greatest sermon ever preached, Jesus's, not mine. Here's the exclamation. This is the gospel. This is the gospel, you guys. I'm going to invite those who are serving the Lord Supper to start making your way up now because we're going to close with this. The Old Testament and the New Testament both say actually that there's no one righteous, not even one. 
We've all gone our own way. We've turned in on ourselves. Our right relationship with God has been broken. Our right relationship with one another has been broken. And the only way any one of us ever begins to hunger and thirst for righteousness is if God himself mercifully awakens us to our emptiness and brokenness. And when Jesus came 2,000 years ago to fulfill all righteousness and invite others to share in it with him, he said first to his friends, take and eat, this is my body, which is given for you. Drink, this is my blood, poured out for you. Come and be satisfied. He said that kind of thing over and over to so many different people through his life. And then we see there at the, the, in the final hours of his life what it was going to take for that to happen. He breaks bread and pours the wine. God awakens a hunger that he alone can satisfy. A thirst that he alone can quench. And then he sent Jesus to be our satisfaction. He sent Jesus to be our satisfaction, to bring us back into right relationship with God through his death and resurrection. And then the Father and the Son sent the Holy Spirit to fill us and renew us and send us out as participants in this unstoppable movement of righteousness that is happening even now and will be completed on the day of Christ. This is the gospel. He works a righteousness in us And then he works a righteousness through us. If you're a Christian, that's your story. If you're here and you don't consider yourself a disciple of Jesus or a Christian, we're glad that you're here. And I hope that you've heard some words of Jesus with a helpful clarity this afternoon. But I'm going to ask you to just stay in your seat for a few minutes while we take the Lord's Supper. People are going to come this way, take the Lord's Supper. And... This is something that we do as a regular reminder of and participation in the death and resurrection of Jesus, which is our life. And so if that's not your life, I'm going to ask that you would stay there. This is a a grace-giving representation of our union with Jesus. And if that's not where you're, you're at, I just invite you to stay in your seat. But I'd also like to ask you to consider what you've heard about Jesus and maybe even pray in your own heart for him to show himself to you so that you also might find life in him. But for all who do hunger and thirst for righteousness, who know what it means to be satisfied, and yet you've developed a growing and intensifying taste for hunger and righteousness, come and take the bread and the cup, along with your brothers and sisters, as we cry out together in the words of Jesus, let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some friends will be available in the back to pray with you through the next song. Come when you're ready.